some of the most memorable songs from my childhood growing up in church were songs that mentioned blood. Songs like, there's power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Songs that said things like, What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now think about that and I think about what's going on in some churches and denominations and groups today. And it's sad. And it's concerning. Because there are some people that claim to be followers of Christ that want to remove any mention of any song that talks about blood. The mention of blood offends their modern-day sensibilities. So they want to remove any song that talks about blood. But we need to understand that the Bible teaches, if it were not for the shedding of blood, there would be no forgiveness of sins. The blood of Jesus is critical. And we need to understand how important it is that we celebrate and appropriate the blood of Christ to our lives. I want to talk to you about that this morning from Revelation chapter 22. So turn with me, Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter in the last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 22, we're going to read verse 14 together as we complete this morning our summer sermon series. We've been working our way, the seven blessings that are scattered throughout the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 22, verse 14. I want to ask you today, if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy word. The Bible says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your presence. We're so grateful for your word, which is truth, which is a rock that we can build our lives upon. And I pray that by your spirit, you would open the eyes of our hearts Help us to see the truths of Scripture and help us to see them in such a way that we are moved by them and we are moved to obey them, to apply these truths to our lives. Lord, have your way in our, in our midst. Transform us today for your glory. And we ask and we pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. These seven blessings have taken us from the very first chapter of the book of Revelation to the very last chapter. And as we've worked our way through each of these seven blessings, we've learned much about the end times. See, the book of Revelation was a series of four visions that the Lord unveiled or revealed to the Apostle John at the end of the first century. John was on a barren island called Patmos. He was in exile. He was in prison for preaching the gospel. 
And during his time in exile, God gave him these visions to record. Now, part of the book of Revelation deals with some churches that existed there in the first century. There were specific messages for seven specific churches that John sent this book to so they could hear straight from Jesus Christ. But most of the book of Revelation deals with future events, future even from our perspective. And as we've worked our way through the seven blessings, we've seen some critical details about major events that will make up the end times. For example, we've talked a lot about the Great Tribulation. We've talked about the second coming of Christ and the gathering of all the believers. We've talked about the importance of the first resurrection of believers before the 1,000-year reign of Christ. We describe what it was going to be like during that 1,000-year reign where Jesus Christ reigns with his church and there will be perfect peace, utopia, if you will, on the earth for 1,000 years. We've discussed that at the end of the 1,000 years, the Lord's going to let Satan loose for a time and he will deceive many and there will be a great rebellion against God. But at the end of those 1,000 years, the Lord will come back and he will crush this rebellion. And at that time, there will be a second resurrection where those who are not believers in Christ will be raised from the dead and they will stand before what the Bible calls the great white throne of judgment. And at the great white throne of judgment, we read that anyone whose name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life would be cast into an eternal lake of fire. And after that transpires, we see in Revelation chapter 21 and 22 that God will usher in a new heaven and a new earth that centers around a new city called the New Jerusalem. And that heaven, that earth, that will be a place where there's no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, a place where God's people uh, are enabled, privileged to live forever in the presence of King Jesus. And so we've looked at these events as they have been described through us throughout the book. And we've made our way to the last blessing in this book, Blessed are those who wash their robes. They say, what's going on here with this washing of the robes? Well, if you look in your notes, the washing of one's robes is a metaphor for spiritual cleansing. The washing of one's robes is a metaphor for spiritual cleansing. And we're going to explore that theme of spiritual cleansing under four headings today. So let me give you the first aspect of spiritual cleansing so we understand this verse better. First of all, you need to understand the need to be washed. The need to be washed. If you don't understand the need to be washed, then the reality of spiritual cleansing will be no big deal to you. So you need to understand how important, how critical it is that you and I be washed. You see, all of humanity has the same problem. There is no one without sin. Everyone in this room has the same exact problem. We have all rebelled against God. The Bible teaches that we were born with a sin nature. And that sin nature begins to act itself out in our lives. And because of that sin nature, we we rebel against God. We do things God's told us not to do. We don't do things that God has told us to do. We've rebelled against the high king of heaven. And you say, Wade, how widespread is this issue of sin? Well, the Bible says in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. 
Not one who is righteous. We all have this same problem. We are all ruined in our sin, separated from God, because we have rebelled against the king. Now, people try to deal with this reality in different ways. Some people try to excuse their sin by minimizing its seriousness. Folks like this would say, well, you know, I've, I've made mistakes. I've had setbacks. I've had some shortcomings. And, and yeah, I'm not perfect, but when I stand before God one day, he'll kind of wink at my sin and kind of sweep them under the rug and say, not, no big deal, come on into heaven. And a lot of people think that's exactly how it will be on Judgment Day, that, that God will not hold our sins to our account because they're really not that bad. Well, people that believe in that way simply do not understand the holiness of God. The Bible teaches us that God is, is perfectly holy. He is light and in him there is no darkness at all. The Bible says he cannot even look upon sin. So listen to me. Unforgiven sin will never be allowed in the presence of a holy God. Never. 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 So people think, well, yeah, I, I, I messed up. Yeah, I made some mistakes, but it's not that bad. Do, do not understand how holy God is. Is our sins separate us from a holy God? So that idea that my sins are no big deal just doesn't hold up according to the Bible. Some people try to deal uh, with their sin or excuse their sin by comparing themselves to other sinners. You ever done this? Yes, I know that I've you know made some mistakes, but compared to that person over there, I'm doing great, right? And when we get to heaven, God will say, okay, yes, you've had some mistakes, but you're better than them, so come on into heaven. Come on into heaven. And and that's uh, the game a lot of people try to play. Do you remember the parable Jesus told over in Luke of the tax collector and the Pharisee? He paints this picture for us of a Pharisee praying at the same location where a tax collector is praying. Now, you know that tax collectors were seen in the first century as traitors, against the people of Israel because they worked for the Roman Empire, and they were seen as immoral because they often skimmed off the top and took money for themselves to line their own pockets. And so they were despised in the religious world of the Jews. And and Jesus paints this picture of a Pharisee praying and saying, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like him. I thank you that I'm not like the tax collector. I'm grateful that I'm better than him. And then the scene shifts, and we hear the tax collector praying. He simply says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. The point is this. Don't play the game of comparing yourselves to others. We are all sinners in need of a Savior, and we all need mercy. You see, in that parable, not only did the tax collector need mercy, the Pharisee needed mercy too. And everyone in this room is in desperate need of mercy. So stop comparing yourself to others. Stop looking down at your nose at others. You're a sinner too. You need a Savior too. That's how some people try to deal with their sin. Some try to make up for their sin by doing good deeds. They think, well, yes, I've made some mistakes, but if I do a bunch of good things and my good 
outweighs my bad, then surely God's going to overlook my sin and let me into heaven. A lot of people live with that mindset. If I can just do enough good things, God won't even look at my bad things. He'll, he'll just say, hey, come on into heaven, you do-gooder. You've helped so many people. You've taken care of your family. Come on into heaven. Yes, you made some mistakes, but I'm not even looking at those mistakes. I'm looking at all the good things that you've done. Well, listen to me. If that's your mindset, that you can, you know, kind of outweigh your bad with your good, you need to understand what the Bible says about your good deeds. Isaiah chapter 64 says this. It says that our righteous deeds are like filthy rags before God. The best we can muster in our own moral strength is like filth before a holy God. Because even if we are trying to do good things, those good things are driven by by sinful motivations and are, are done at the same time we're doing things that are in rebellion against God. So this idea that you're good will outweigh your bad is a false idea. The best you can do is impure before a perfect God. And so please don't play that game, trying to work your way to heaven. That's what all of the world religions are about. If you can just do the right things, take the right religious steps, then God will accept you. No, no. You need spiritual cleansing. Your sins must be dealt with if you're ever going to stand before a holy God. You see, people with unforgiven sin in their life will pay an eternal penalty for their rebellion against God. Revelation 20, verse 15 says this. We've already studied this, but let me read it again. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. In other words, if someone's standing before God one day and their sins have not been forgiven, if they've not been made clean, they will go to hell forever. That's what the Bible says teaches. One day I was in my office and I received a text from Claire and there's a picture in the text. It was a picture of my boys somewhere on our, in our yard on our property. They had found some mud and I'm telling you they had mud from the top of their head to the bottom of their head. They were covered and caked in mud. And my wife, she's such a good mom to boys, she just took a deep breath and got out the water hose, you know. Began to wash them off. But before she washed them off, she sent me a picture. And they were just caked in mud. Now to think that one of our boys would have said to my wife, Hey, I'm clean. It's time to, it's it's bedtime. I'm going to go lay down. Covered in mud just wasn't going to happen, right? But you see, a lot of us try to play that same game spiritually. We are spiritually, morally covered in mud. And to try to say to God, well, I'm clean, will not hold up on judgment day. The uncleanness, the impurity must be washed. So we see here the the need to be washed. But secondly, I want to talk to you about the way to be washed. You say, okay, Wade. I've sinned against God. There's none righteous, no, not one. I am uh, morally impure before God. I want to be right with God. I want to have my sins forgiven. I want to be able to be in God's presence. What do I need to do? How can I be washed? Well, the blood of Jesus 
is the only way to have your sins washed away. The blood of Jesus is the only way to have your sins washed away. Turn over to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation 5. Joey read this passage earlier. Verse 9, this picture of heaven. They're gathered around the throne, and it says, They sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you, speaking to Jesus, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your, what's the word there? Blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. They shall reign on the earth. So he's saying Jesus has taken people who are far from God and he's paid the penalty. He's ransomed them so they could be set free from their sin and they could come into the kingdom of the Lord. And it says there that he... He ransomed them. He made this possible by the shedding of his blood. He, he, he brings us out of spiritual uncleanness into purity, spiritual purity, by his blood. Look over in chapter 7 of Revelation, verse 14. Again, This picture of heaven. See a picture of those that come out of the great tribulation. This is in verse 13. One of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know what he said to me. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. Folks that were believers during the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So... All of our robes are dirty. It's like we are spiritually caked in mud. And the only way to have your robe washed, to make your robe clean and white, is to wash it in the blood of the Lamb. You see, Jesus Christ came to this earth, born of the Virgin Mary. And he lived a perfect life. And he, of his own volition, went to the cross. And he went to the cross as the God-man. Fully God, fully man. As fully man, he could take our place. The Bible says that he took all of our sin on himself to die in our place, to take the penalty that we deserve to pay, to take the punishment that you and I deserve. But he was fully God, which means he could pay the infinite debt that you and I could not pay. As infinite God, he could take care of the infinite offense that our sin causes in our lives. And so Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross so that our sins could be washed away. Our sins could be forgiven. But I want you to hear me carefully. It's not enough just to know that. There are a lot of folks that know the story of Jesus dying on the cross. And that know the story of Jesus rising from the dead that are heading straight for hell. It's not enough just to know about Jesus. You see, if you look in your notes, we appropriate the work of Christ. We appropriate the blood of Christ by faith. As a matter of fact, turn to Romans 5 with me very quickly. I want to show you this. Romans 5. Look what it says in verse 1. The Bible says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So notice they're justified, made right. 
Our sins dealt with by what? Faith. And then look what it says in verse 9. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood. So verse 1, justified by faith. Verse 9, justified by his blood. In other words, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the blood that he shed on Calvary is applied or appropriated for us. It's applied to our spiritual account. It's not enough just to know that Jesus died for your sins. You've got to rest by faith in the finished work of Christ. You've got to see that you can't save yourself. And you've got to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. That's what saves you. You're justified by faith. And your justification has been purchased by his blood. It's like the story we see over in the book of Numbers. You remember in Numbers, the the people of Israel rebelled against God, and so God sent fiery serpents in the camp. And they began to bite people, and people began to fall over dead. Remember that story? Well, the people panic. And they run to Moses and say, Moses, do something. If you don't do something, we're all going to die because this plague of fiery serpents. By the way, I hate snakes. What a nightmare. So Moses goes to God, and Moses says, Lord, would you deliver us from this, from this judgment? Would you save us from these snakes? And here's what God told Moses to do. I want you to make a serpent out of bronze and wrap it around the pole and then lift up that pole with the serpent of bronze in the middle of the camp. And if anyone is bitten by a snake... All they have to do is look to the bronze serpent and they will be healed. They will be saved. That's what happened. Moses made the bronze serpent, put it up in the middle of the camp. And when someone was bitten by a snake, they would look and live. Now hear me carefully. It wasn't enough for someone to know that the snake was there. They had to look. It wasn't enough that... that Someone had told them the snake was there. They had to look. And it's the same way when it comes to the blood of Jesus. It's not enough just to know that he died on the cross. It's not enough just to know that he rose from the dead. You've got to place your faith in what Christ has done for you. You've got to look by faith if you want his blood applied to your spiritual account, right? You've got to look to Christ. And live. And so the way to be washed is by the blood of Jesus Christ. He's the only way, listen, the only way to deal with your sin problem, the only way to experience spiritual cleansing. Which leads me to the third aspect of spiritual cleansing. I want to say a word about the effects of being washed. The effects of being washed. So once you experience spiritual cleansing, what is it like? Well, first of all, you experience full and final forgiveness. Full and final forgiveness. Write this phrase down. He takes away the sin. He takes away the sin. When you embrace Jesus Christ by faith, when you embrace him as your personal Lord and Savior, what he does is he applies his death on the cross to all of your sin, and his blood washes away your sin. In other words, your sins are forgiven. Everything you've ever done, 
Everything you ever will do is washed away by Jesus. Isn't that marvelous? Wow. Full and final forgiveness. Stop comparing yourselves to others. Stop trying to do good things so your good outweighs your bad. Experience the forgiveness that is only found in Christ. He'll take away your sin. The Bible says that God takes our sin and he puts it in a sea of forgetfulness. Never, be, never to be held to your account again. Wow. So when you are spiritually cleansed, you experience full and final forgiveness. The Bible says in Ephesians 1 verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Do you want every sin you've ever committed? Every wrong thought, every wrong word, every wrong motivation, every wrong action, every wrong attitude. Do you want it to be forgiven? Only through Jesus. Full and final forgiveness. Secondly, the effects of spiritual cleansing, a purified conscience. A purified conscience. Write this down. He takes away the shame. He takes away the shame. The Bible says in Romans chapter 2, That we all have a conscience. It's been marred by the fall, marred by our sin nature. But we all have somewhere deep inside of us this intrinsic intrinsic idea of, of right and wrong. We all know that something's not quite right in our lives. That something has gone wrong. We all know that somewhere deep inside of us. It's called the conscience. And because of that conscience, we live our lives with 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 this guilt and this shame for our sin. We can't even put our finger on it sometimes. But we're, we're weighed down by the impurity of our sin. But listen to what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9. It says, If the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve a living God. In other words, that guilt and that shame and that sense that something is not right in your life, when you meet Jesus Christ, it is washed away. He takes away your guilt. He takes away your shame. He reconciles you to God. He deals with not only your outward actions, he deals with the inner shame, the inner brokenness that sin has caused. He washes your conscience clean. Isn't that good news? A purified conscience. And then third, nearness to God. Write this down. He takes away the separation. Full and final forgiveness, he takes away the sin. A purified conscience, he takes away the shame. And nearness to God, he takes away the separation. Because we have sinned against a holy God, there is a wall of impurity between us and God. We'll never be able to to know God, to approach God, until that wall of sin has been dealt with. And listen to what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Wow. When we are in our sin, we are far from God. Lost and without hope. 
But when we embrace Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior by faith, His blood forgives us of our sins. His blood purifies our conscience and His blood takes that wall of impurity away between you and God and His blood brings you into a relationship with God whereby you can call Him Father, whereby you can call Him friend. The blood of Christ gives you the gift of nearness to God. Isn't that what people are looking for in this world? They want to be near to God. And the blood of Christ is the way to be brought near to God. And so Jesus takes away the sin. He takes away the shame. He takes away the separation. That's what it means to be clean. As I was studying this passage, I thought about an Old Testament symbol of this found when the Lord gave the people of Israel the sacrificial system. There was a ceremony where two goats would be brought to the tabernacle where the holy place and the holy of holies was located. Ark of the Covenant in the holy of holies. And one goat would be killed. His blood would be shed and the blood of that goat would be sprinkled on the altar as a visual reminder to the people of Israel that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. They were reminded every time that happened that, an, that innocence had to die for guilt. Blood had to be shed because they were guilty before God. And then the other goat was taken by the high priest. Listen. And he would put his hands on the head of the goat and confess all the sins of Israel. Now, I don't know how long that took. How long would it took if I confessed all your sins this morning? Take a while, right? He would confess all the sins of Israel before the people. And then, in a very beautiful ceremony, this goat was led past the people outside of the camp, far away into the wilderness. And that that goat being led into the wilderness, bearing the sins of the people, was a picture of the Lord taking away our sin, taking away our shame taking away our separation. That's where the phrase scapegoat comes from. That goat symbolized the Lord in his grace taking away our sins. Can you imagine the emotion of that moment? As this goat came walking by, bearing the sins of the people, and they saw the grace of God in that he was taking it far, far away. Those are the effects of spiritual cleansing. God takes all of that stuff, all of that junk that sin brings in our life, He takes it all away. Can I get an amen? amen? But there's a final aspect of this passage I want you to see, going back to Revelation, back to our original verse. I want to say a word about the blessings of being washed. Because He says in Revelation twenty two fourteen, Blessed are those who wash their robes. So what are the specific blessings for those that have experienced spiritual cleansing? For those whose robes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, those who are born again, those who are redeemed, those who are saved, what are the blessings? Well, first of all, the right to eat. (laughs) The right to eat. Look what it says in verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life. So what's going on with the tree of life? Look back at the beginning of Revelation 22. It says in verse 1, The angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. He's talking about the new Jerusalem. He's talking about heaven here. Also, 
on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So in heaven, those who have, who have had their robes washed in the blood of the Lamb will have access to this tree of life, and there will be fruit on this tree that brings about healing. In other words, this tree is a picture of eternal life. It's a tree of healing. It's a tree of perpetuity. If you have access to this tree, you'll, you'll live forever. It's the tree of life. Now, you may think, wait a minute, Wade. This isn't the only mention of the tree of life. I remember way back in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, there's a tree of life in the Garden of Eden. And because of their sin, God kicked them out of the garden. They could not have access to the tree of life. And you say, wait, I'm just like Adam and Eve. I've sinned against God. So how come... They could not have access to the tree of life, and I get access to the tree of life. What, what happened from the Garden of Eden to Revelation 22? Why all of a sudden can we get to the tree of life? Well, listen to me. Between Genesis 3 and Revelation 22, there was another tree of life that the Bible tells us about. That tree of life is called Calvary. And Jesus Christ came and died for our sins so his blood could wash us clean and we could have access to eternal life the tree of life so what are the blessings of of being washed you get you get the right to eat but secondly you get the right to enter the right to enter look what it says in verse 14 blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. In other words, if you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, you get entrance into the new Jerusalem, which is the centerpiece of heaven. I.e., you get to go to heaven. This speaks of access to the very presence of God. Notice the, the, the contrast with the next verse. Verse 15, outside, outside of the new Jerusalem, outside of the new heavens... Outside of the new earth are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So there's some folks outside that can't get in. And there are folks in this new city in the very presence of God. Now, when you're looking at verse 15, you probably saw in that list some sins you've committed. Right? And you say, wait, why will I be able to be in the city when all these other people that committed the same sin will be outside of the city? Why do I get to enter the very presence of God? Listen, it's not because you're good. It's not because you figured it out no one else has. The only reason you'll be able to enter the new Jerusalem is because the grace of God shown through His Son when He shed His blood for our sins. You see, Christians aren't perfect. We're forgiven, right? Forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And because of that forgiveness, we get to enter the new Jerusalem and be in the very presence of the Lord forever and ever and ever. Claire and I were flying together one time and we got tickled watching them board the plane. 
this particular airline had this arrangement for frequent flyers. And if you are a frequent flyer and a member of certain clubs, then you could get on the plane a little bit early, and that's nice, of course, get on the plane early. But also, if you were in these certain clubs, they would put down a red, red rug, and you got to walk across the red rug onto the plane. Now, the distance between one lane and the lane with the red rug is about this, this far. But we got tickled watching this worker for the airlines frantic about keeping the wrong people off the red rug. People didn't notice. They were trying to get on the plane. She said, no, 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 wrong, no, go other side. And they'd step back and go around the little post and get on the plane. And she was working so hard to keep the wrong folks off the red rug as if that were the greatest privilege ever, walking across the red rug. And Claire and I just found that funny. As a matter of fact, the bad Wade wanted to walk across the red rug. But Claire stopped me. Listen to me. That's not privilege. I mean, you get on the plane early, great. Red rug, great. Privilege, listen, privilege is when you have access to the tree of life. And you have access to the very presence of God. That's privilege, friends. And that privilege, that right, it says in the Bible, is given to those whose robes have been washed. So I ask you, do you want access to the tree of life? Do you want to be in the presence of God forever? Do you want to go to heaven when you die? Your sin must be dealt with. You must be spiritually cleansed if you want to experience these great privileges. I mentioned songs that I grew up singing that spoke of the blood of Jesus at the beginning of this sermon. There's another song that we sang growing up and As I've studied this passage, I've been singing it to myself all week long. It goes like this. Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. I want thee forever to live in my soul. Break down every idol, cast out every foe. Now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Lord Jesus, thou seest I patiently wait. Come now and within me a new heart create. To those who have sought thee, thou never saidst no. Now wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. The blessing by faith I receive from above. O glory, my soul is made perfect in love. My prayer has prevailed, and this moment I know the blood is applied. I am whiter than snow. Whiter than snow, yes, whiter than snow. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. The invitation for you today is this. Jesus will make you clean. He'll wash away your sin and make you whiter than snow.